There are almost as many ways to homeschool as there are homeschooling families. Join us today as Kimberly McCran unpacks Suzuki-style homeschooling for young children. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik. Today we're talking with Kimberly McCran about Suzuki-style homeschooling for young children. Kimberly McCran is a 20-year music educator who joyfully toggles a continued career as a violin teacher and conductor at several institutions in the New York metro area, alongside Catholic home education in her family's Pond House School. She is excited to encourage others who are managing the transition from traditional schooling so they can draw upon strengths old and new in this next chapter of their family life. You can drop her a line and exchange tips, support, and prayers at pondhouseschool at aol.com. And that's spelled exactly how it sounds, P-O-N-D-H-O-U-S-E-S-C-H-O-O-L at AOL.com. Welcome to the program, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I really admire the work you do and uh, in listening to the podcast and also the conversations on the online Catholic Homeschool Conference. I hear this uh, thread in each person's story, a thread of encouragement and, and joy and hope. So, uh, my prayer today is that in some little way, our family's journey uh, may be of support and reassurance to others, especially new homeschoolers. Uh, to be honest, I listen to the uh, the online conference every night over a cup of tea, and I find every day there's a new gem to find. Wow, that is so good to hear. You know, you put things out there in the world, and and we have gotten a lot of nice feedback on the conference, but... Um, we haven't really talked about it on the podcast. Uh, we, the response was overwhelming, and we're continuing to add content to the site. So if people want to buy a VIP pass and have lifetime access to that content, the original conference had about 70 speakers, and we just did another conference that we added a bunch more speakers to. Um, we did panels with moms and dads and all of that. So I'm going to drop that in the show notes. And thank you for mentioning it, Kimberly, because that truly is a labor of love for Walter and Maureen, who own Homeschool Connections, and their business partner, Paula Siskanek. They're really doing work there with God's help in a big way. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's start um, by just please tell our audience a little bit about your music background, because I just love your, your story. And I think it's really important to understanding the way you homeschool. Okay, sure. Well, to be honest, I think my musical background starts in the countryside. So I grew up in a, a very gentle little suburb, I guess you could say it was kind of the last real town before you hit farmland. And I think growing up in that sort of environment where there was a lot of space, I could really be creative and not feel pressured and just allow life to unfold at a, at a natural pace. And um, from about elementary school on, the violin became my constant companion so that by the time I hit high school, um, I was pretty much eating and breathing and sleeping music. Um, the yeah. I love the, that. 
Yeah, the uh, the school district that I grew up in had an, an amazing music program, which really helped. And and I found that unlike the other creative pursuits that I had, um, music was unique in that it was something I could do with other kids. And I just loved that collaborative uh, process. So by the time I hit high school, I was doing the chorus and the orchestra and um also played in a youth orchestra, played in a rock band after school, and studied jazz improvisation alongside uh, my private classical violin instruction. So um, there was just a lot, a lot of wonderful people, uh, wonderful mentors and, and teachers who were who were supporting and encouraging me to explore every aspect um, of musical study. And I'd say pretty early on, I got bit by the teaching bug. So I volunteered after school with the elementary school strings teacher, um, you know, helping tune instruments and demonstrate things. And then later on, uh, did two years of Suzuki teacher training where I apprenticed under under a wonderful, uh, very kind and maternal um, gifted teacher. And uh, so I would say it's, Seeing that I could use teaching as a springboard for my passion of music was very appealing. But loving and doing something for a living are two very different things. So my private violin teacher, who is just a brilliant and very sincere person, he stressed to me that I needed to get to know the violin better and that the time I spent marinating in the practice room was really going to transfer to whatever I was ultimately meant to do in music. So eventually I went off to conservatory and that was a really special environment. Conservatory is like a trade school for musicians. Um, and so I could really focus on honing my craft on the violin and also gaining a, a better understanding um, for music overall. Um, then after I went to conservatory, I, I moved back up north to the metro area for graduate school and pursued something called an artist diploma, which isn't a, a traditional academic degree like a master's or a doctorate. You're really just focusing on performing. So I was playing a lot of chamber music and uh, had the opportunity to teach a few college classes and then ultimately discovered that uh, I had this love of youth orchestra conducting. Um, so graduate school is a little different than undergraduate, you know, because I was trans, uh, transitioning, I guess you could say, into a professional career. But it was also filled with a lot of opportunities that ultimately um, guided my professional um, trajectory. So at this point, uh, you know, I, I teach at a, a small independent school remotely, uh, of course, because of COVID and uh if it weren't for COVID this fall, I would be entering my 15th uh, year directing the youth orchestra that I actually grew up as a student. Wow. How wonderful to come full circle and be conducting the same orchestra. That's really neat. I really can't put it into words how much I miss my students there. Um, there's really nothing like getting 60 remarkable kids in the room and yeah. hearing them create something beautiful and seeing this, you know, seeing the support of their families and um, 
I mean, it, it's, it's absolutely stunning what the kids create. So I can't complain compared to what so many are dealing with right now, but I just miss my students terribly. They're wonderful, wonderful, hardworking people. And they come from really great families. Uh, you know, being a conductor is really being a, a manager of people and organizer of people and a cheerleader more than anything else. And really the joy is in watching the musicians make all the magic. I love the way it draws on that heart connection that you have with other people, as well as your passion for the music and the beauty of both the human connection and the music itself. That's just gorgeous. Thank you. Okay, so how did that training as a musician help shape your homeschool? Take us into what that looks like. Sure. So I would say my formative years in conservatory and also my Suzuki teacher trainer apprenticeship um, really planted the early seeds to become a home educator in a way. My teacher at conservatory was an incredible woman. Uh, she didn't simply teach violin, but she taught us how to live well and perform well and be a kind and supportive colleague um, to our peers. So let's say you're, you were going to study um, a Mozart violin concerto. She would ask you to purchase the conductor's score and understand when is the oboe coming in? Who's doubling my line here or playing a counter melody? She wanted you to really look at the piece on a deeper level rather than just referencing the, the piano reduction, which is when a pianist plays along with you and, and accompanies you in the recital. So she, she really expected that of all of us to, to have a deeper understanding of the piece. She um, had us research the composer, the country they were from, the time period, um, what was going on in the world at the time. And then we also had this weekly rep class, repertoire class. And it's a very common thing at, at, uh, at all conservatories and, and music schools. And it's where the private lesson teacher meets with all of their students in their studio for a weekly performance class. And it's basically like a test kitchen. So you get up on stage and you practice performing. And she would really stress to us that when we got up on stage, in addition to being well prepared on our piece, we had to speak about our piece well. We had to have excellent body language, excellent elocution. When we did speak about our piece, we had to impart something interesting to the audience. So you couldn't just get up and say, hello, my name is Kimberly McCran. Well, that, that's not my main name, but hello, I'm <laughs> getting up and I'm, I'm going to play uh, Mendelssohn Violin Concerto. I hope you enjoy my performance. No, you had to actually share an interesting fact about Mendelssohn or ask your audience members to listen for something in a certain passage. So it was something that was meant to really draw in uh, the listener. The, the speech was not, uh, you know, it wasn't, it was never a surface thing. It was something that was always, always meant to, to draw people in. When one of us had a disastrous experience in our performance on the rep class stage, I can think of a few doozies in my day. The others were expected to tease out the good with sincerity and specificity. You had to be able to come up with something that that performer did well. Likewise, if someone got up on stage and gave a shock and awe performance, you know, something where it was just truly spectacular, we were appropriately scolded if we could not come up with something to help that person 
better their performance. So it was just a very collegial environment. And that was an incredible culture to be formed in. Wow. Yeah. It's so important when you're pursuing your bachelor's degree in music um, to have that kind of support because there are so many um, inconsistencies in your playing, no matter how strong your playing is. Um, You may even be working on technical aspects of your playing. Um, And I would also say that having that experience really got me thinking about education in more of a connective way, not the idea that subjects um, like you learn in school are, are these dry, distinct things, but more like each subject matter is a different facet of the same gemstone because she really imparted that way of thinking about musicianship to us. Wow. So you took this whole person approach, this sense of teasing out both what's working in a difficult situation and what could be better, but in this kind of warm, collegial, mutually supportive environment. Plus, you were trained, as I understand it, in the Suzuki method, too. So there were, at least at some point in your development, and these kinds of things started to come together. So tell us how, what this actually practically looks like in the way you homeschool. Sure. So I would say specific to my conservatory training, while I can't point to a specific example off the top of my head, I would say that generally I pull from a lot of different resources when homeschooling. So pretty much every homeschooling Catholic homeschooling catalog that you get in the mail. I'm getting a book from, you know, a little bit of everybody's things. Um, And I'd also say when Sarah was too little to sit and and do any kind of workbooks or things like that, I would put together a bin each day of themed activities that were based on things like counting or early literacy, faith, fine motor skills, memory skills. So in that way, I would say you know, different subject areas came together and continue to to come together for us. Um, and, and I would say that, you know, like the performance test kitchen of the rep class, when something is hard, I watch her very carefully. So it doesn't mean I get it right all the time, but how big are her feelings of frustration? Is it time for me to jump in and help? Or should I be the one cheering, you know, cheering her on? So usually if there's no tears involved, it's the latter. And I think that builds a healthy mental toughness and pride in one's work and accomplishments, because even in the gentle environment of homeschooling, developing mental toughness is so important. I mean, it really helps temper us and and grow in, in being very rational so that we can stay connected to our faith when we're facing challenging times. Yeah, just take us into whatever areas are... Uh are really attracting your heart here, Kimberly. Talk to us about how all of these influences are are kind of helping to guide the process for you and your daughter. Sure. So I think I mentioned earlier my Suzuki teacher, who I just loved, just an incredibly warm um, maternal person. Um, She really made an impact on me. I mean, there were obviously a few different schools of thought with violin teaching and playing. 
that, that make up how I approach education. But I would say that the Suzuki method has played a critical role, particularly because of the mother tongue philosophy and the significance of the environment that a child is raised in. So those, those two concepts in particular really intrigued me. Explain what you mean by the mother tongue philosophy. Sure. So Dr. Suzuki believed that a child could learn to play a musical instrument the same way that they learn language. So that that repetition and quality hearing of something again and again would take on an organic role in, in how we learn to play a musical instrument. So there's you can study um, the Suzuki method with a whole bunch of instruments. You know, you could, there's Suzuki violin, Suzuki piano. Um, but when we say the Suzuki method, we're, we're, that's what we call it in the States. And in Japan, it's Saino um, Kyoku, talent education. So when you think about that, that's actually a broader concept, right? Talent education. There's so many ways that we can help a child and, and, cultivate them and help them cultivate themselves. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. So, you know, part of that, because it is like learning a language, there's a lot of breaking things down. So when you're teaching a child in the Suzuki method, you may have 10, 20, 100 preparatory steps to get you to learning a piece of music. And I find that that happens a lot with homeschooling and you as a veteran homeschool mom, I'm sure can relate, you know, teaching your child how to read or teaching them a certain um, element of, of mathematics. You have to break things down. And, you know, the nice thing about homeschooling is you get all the space to do this and, and you can really set the pace. You know, when you're teaching in a, in a, a school or you're conducting a rehearsal, you have to be so strategic with time. I'll never forget. There was one piece that I programmed with my advanced chamber orchestra, and there were um, there were some prose that accompanied the piece, and it was it was about the springtime. Well, and it happened to be the springtime, and there were these beautiful trees blooming on campus, and I remember seeing them as I was pulling into the parking lot, and said, "You know what? I have to take my kids for a little short nature walk today, so they can see these gorgeous trees. Maybe it'll inspire them." And so we did. We went for a walk and it was great fun. And the kids loved the trees and I lost half my rehearsal time. <laughs> so. I'm wondering though, how many children look back and remember that moment of coming back to the rehearsal space to delve into something that was evoking spring, that was very intentional about that spring experience. And I wonder if it, but I understand what you're saying about managing the time in that environment because you couldn't take all the time you wanted as a homeschooler. Um, but still, I, I have a funny feeling that that was not forgotten, that that connection no. was made. No, I, I oftentimes think that in education of any kind, it's the feelings that we really remember the best of all. And, and that's what I hope, I hope for every child, whatever their educa educational setting is that they remember how loved and cared for they are and, and that they really feel encouraged. Um, but, but it is nice in homeschooling because like the other day we're reading Misty of Schinkatig in our read aloud. And there's this beautiful passage uh, where Marguerite Henry, the, the author talks about the sounds of insects at, at nighttime in the summer. 
And so I just picked up my kid and schlepped her outside and we were <laughs> listening to the sounds of summer insects because she didn't have a sound to go with that mental image. So why not? Let's just go outside for a few minutes. And oh, uh, lovely. Yeah. And then she has these sweet little readers. And, and there was a story about a little kid harvesting flax. And so we could talk about that and I can go into my closet and pull out a linen skirt and say, look, this was made with flax. Touch it. What does it feel like? How is it different from cotton? So wow. while you can go down those tangents in a, in a, in a, in a formal uh, institutionalized setting, you can go down them so much more readily in homeschooling. It's just, it's just delightful. I love that connecting the sensory, you know, as an, as a creative person, you have an intuition about um, bringing ideas to life. Thank you. (laughs) It's beautiful. Another element of the Suzuki method is repetition. So, one of the things that's really beautiful when you go and you see a Suzuki recital is there's this concept called a play down. And it's a list of pieces selected by the head teacher, which start from the most difficult and then gradually become easier and easier to the point where you finish with the last song traditionally, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, or the Twinkle Variations, which are um, special uh, rhythmic patterns that are imposed upon Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star in there very popular, very popular among the, the Suzuki community. I love so, the twinkle yeah. variations. Twinkle awesome. variations. The <laughs> famous one is Mississippi hot dog. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so I encourage all the listeners to Google tw- twinkle variations. Oh, oh you can when they're sure done. this is going to be in the show notes. <laughs> but what's really special about that is you have the oldest and, and most advanced children on the stage. So there's not as many children, but then as time goes by, more and more children join the stage. So by the time you get to the end, you have four-year-olds who are gleefully bowing away on open A string with Mississippi hot dog next to a 16-year-old who's polishing up a concerto. And that's really a huge part of the Suzuki culture. It's, It's very edifying of the human person at every stage. And so there is this stress on repetition as well, that we initially learn something and then we need to master it and then we build in nuance. So I would say one word of encouragement that I would have to those who are coming out of a traditional school setting and and homeschooling for the first time, you don't need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. So that repetition that your children get in school is, is extremely important. You know, when you're homeschooling, it may only take one or two tries to Uh, be able to explain the concept to your children, but that doesn't mean they're ready to fully move on. You need to keep finding ways periodically to bring that same material up. It can be creative, it can be different, but that repetition enables them to move from understanding to mastery to a more nuanced understanding that comes as they grow. Can you give us one example of something that you've repeated in different ways with Sarah? Absolutely. So one of the many curricula that we like to pull from (laughs) is something called PACE, Program for Achieving Character Education by M. Monica Speech. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, Veteran um, Catholic homeschooler. And for each month, there's a different virtue. And there's a lot of cross-curricular activities conversations, read-alouds, art projects, 
saint quotes, Bible quotes, memory work, everything built around the virtue of the month. So we piece that together with something which I think is more traditionally associated with Charlotte Mason, which is a morning menu. So whatever our virtue is for the month, I include you know, an age-appropriate description of that virtue. Also, some saint quotes, Bible quotes, memory work poetry. And then I also squeeze in a little bit of math review. We're, uh, we're big Singapore math nuts in this house. So there's always some doubles facts or something else uh, that, that also uh, creeps in. And then we end up reviewing this over the course of the month. I've also used this to teach my daughter prayers, especially some of the longer ones like the Hail Holy Queen. Wow. And what I might do for several days is just have a few lines of the prayer and then swap out that page for something a little longer until after a few weeks, we've gotten through the whole prayer that way. So it's just a a very gentle way of introducing repetition. So rather than, I think more traditionally, people may include different things for different days. This ends up being the same or basically the same over the course of a single month. And you have a very cute thing. Everyone, you can't see this, but uh, Kimberly has created a little kind of almost like a laminated folder that says Sarah's monthly menu on it and it's decorated. So, I mean, it's, that's your way of doing it. Everyone have their own way, obviously, but it's kind of a neat thing because Sarah can recognize that thing that you go to with your monthly lessons. That's, that's really neat. And to think about, because homeschoolers do this a lot, weaving the faith through our lessons, weaving virtues, um, finding a way to revisit that same idea in a a lot of different contexts. Just beautiful. The other thing that we do is on an index card, I write down a little message for her every day. And it always starts with, hello, Sarah, today is, and I list, you know, day, month, date. And then I'll put some little detail, like this is one we used this past Monday. Hello, Sarah, today is Monday, August 24th, 2020. It is the feast of St. Bartholomew. And we've been doing this since she was really little, and she wasn't able to read them, but it was something she always looked forward to. And then eventually she could read, hello, Sarah. And then she could read, today is. And then she started making a connection with the days of the week and the months. And in it, you know, and also in the process, indirectly, she learned her numbers to 31 and also a sense of ordinal numbers. Wow. So when she looks at a day, she knows she can say something like 14th or seventh or 31st, but it emerged in a very organic way because we have these little cards. And of course, now she's a big girl who's almost five. So she likes to write out her own index card messages. Oh my goodness. (laughs) That's awesome. This all sounds fun. I love the spirit of fun. I'm not hearing pressure in this. I'm hearing that it's just really well organized, but in a really delightful way that's gentle and gradual. Thank you. Yeah, I I think the environment's so important. And that that really was something that Dr. Suzuki stressed. I just want to share a little quote. It's one of my favorites. Um, Teaching music is not my main purpose. I want to make good citizens. If children hear fine music from the day of their birth and learn to play it, they develop sensitivity, discipline, and endurance. They get a beautiful heart. Ooh, a beautiful heart. Wow. I feel like I just got shivers. I feel like that is 
kind of what we're about, aren't we, as Catholic homeschoolers? We really want that beautiful heart that can see God in everything, that can experience the order of everything that they're learning as part of God's design. Just have a few minutes, Kimberly. Take us through what you think are important touchstones as people, you know, are creating their own homeschool environment for their kids, their kids who are different from Sarah and parents who are different from you. What are, what would you say are some good guidelines? Well, I would say avail yourself of the sacraments regularly, especially reconciliation. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I find that uh, in addition to the obvious graces, that holds me accountable because of course this is, you know, parent-child relationship and, uh, like the rearview mirror says, objects are closer than they may appear. Um, so, so I, I find that that accountability is really important. Um, if it if it's possible in your schedule to to go to daily mass when you can, and yes, relish this pace and space piece. Follow the little inspirations tugging at your heart and your children's heart. Do you have a little luxury to define your day? Um, and and incorporate things like beautiful music, beautiful poetry, beautiful art. One thing that's been really helpful to us was before I, I started curriculum planning, really focused on the spiritual preparation. So we have a mission statement we use. We set goals every year. And I, I do that a lot of that through the Cultivated Homeschool Planner, which is a, a free digital resource you can get online. And before we begin homeschooling, I also wrote a very brief opening and closing prayer, which I'm happy to share with everyone today, and a, a litany of humility. So there's this wonderful um, veteran Catholic homeschool mom of six, Colleen Dugan. She wrote a book called Good Enough is Good Enough. And in it, she, um, she actually took the, a litany of humility and she wrote a parent's litany of humility. It was so beautiful. And I found it really compelled me to want to write one of my own, one that applied to our, our family circumstances. So in addition to having an opening and a closing prayer, I also have this private prayer that I pray every day because I find that humility is, is really a, a critical touchstone in, in home education. Now, when you say an opening and closing prayer, do you mean morning and evening, or what do you mean? Oh, great question. So, at the very beginning of whenever we do our formal table time, and at the close. Oh, great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And then I would say, you know, my, my final thoughts, really, this will be nothing like pandemic schooling. If you were a parent who found yourself in the position of pandemic schooling, it's going to be nothing like that. You don't have to get inside someone else's head and administer their program on their timeline. Yes, you have state mandates, you have state regulations, but you have the keys now and it's your car. Mm. <laughs> and lastly, if there is anything that 20 years of teaching has taught me, it's that in all of this planning, never underestimate the agency of the children involved. So you can cut yourself a little slack. Kids really do their best despite our worst moments and efforts, and they do their worst despite our best moments and efforts. Um, but, but mostly, I've found 
that they will truly profoundly amaze you in the process, leaving you ultimately to wonder, well, who is teaching whom? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. And I feel like that comes right out of what you were saying about having your own litany of humility, that, that we can't control everything. And there may even be times, as you did, where it's just time to go out and look at the trees. Um, maybe things are getting too frustrating or, or we don't realize that maybe our child just really needs a break or whatever it is. But the, to yield a little bit to that and not to take it on too heavily as a burden that it's, you're going to have ups and downs. Absolutely. So I'd just like to, I guess, share with our listeners our, our opening and closing prayers. Yes, and please do. How perfect. Maybe it'll inspire you to write some of your own. Awesome. So here's our opening prayer in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, bless our homeschool time. Help us to be patient and open our hearts and minds to learning well. Amen. In the name mm, of the Father, beautiful. the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. You going to do the closing prayer for us? Oh, yes. That's right. The closing prayer. In the name of the Father, (laughs) the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. (laughs) Thank you for the special learning time, God. Praise your holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father. And the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. That just made me so happy because that's it sounds a little like my own prayers. Like they're so like thrown up to God in the course of the day. And what a great lesson as well for your child to hear that a good beginning and a good ending is is kind of book ended in love and prayer. Um, can't thank you enough for the ideas about cre- creating the space and the pace that works for you. I love what you just said, too, about not having to be in someone else's head, in the state's head or the teacher's head about what's important and what the priorities are for the day. We can start to explore that on our own and that sense also of the whole person, educating the whole person all the time. And uh, that kind of gentle, gradual re- approach, the repetition, just throw out, did I miss any of the major concepts here? Uh, just to remind them, we've got pace, repetition. Well, I, th- I think that's, that's, that's pretty much it. But, you know, if anyone has any questions or just wants to share and connect, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm, I'm always learning too. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kimberly. It's just been great having you with us. And you've filled my mind full of beauty and flowers and and just gentle thoughts about the day, which is such a beautiful way uh, to begin anything. And so we, we wrap this up with a big thank you to you, Kimberly. And I'll put as much as I can in the show notes, everybody, so you don't have to be scribbling as you listen. Um, and everybody, please stay tuned also for our short feature coming right up. everyone, this is Chantal with From Ideal to Real. It's my joy to make lofty and holy pipe dreams more accessible and attainable for Catholic moms everywhere, especially within the context of homeschooling. So by way of introduction, I myself was homeschooled from fourth grade through high school, and now I am a mom of six beautiful children five daughters and one son there in the mix. My oldest is a senior this year, hard to believe. I have a 10th grader, I have a 7th grader, a 4th grader, a kindergartner, and a brand new baby daughter born just five short weeks ago. 
So that means that under my homeschooling mantle, I have the entire spectrum of education that I'm responsible for this year. It's a tad bit intimidating, but one thing that I've learned over the course of my now 20 plus years of combined homeschooling experience is that it'll all work out. The good Lord is in charge, and no matter how much I manage to mess it up, He's there to right my wrongs, to smooth the road, and to draw straight with crooked lines. If you're anything like me, You're just now emerging from the whirlwind of curriculum chaos, as I like to call it. You've been reading reviews, setting schedules, planning your morning basket offerings, hemming and hawing over what curriculum to use, whose homeschool philosophy to embrace, what technology you need to update, whose passwords and login information belongs to what course. And you probably are already asking yourself, can we fit it all in? Have we bitten off more than we can chew? I know that my children each year have a bit of an apprehensive smile (laughs) creep across their faces as we begin the new year. We're all super jazzed about new offerings, new curriculum ideas, exciting things that we're going to learn and explore. And yet we're all holding our breath just a little bit, waiting for the air to begin to deflate from the bubble of enthusiasm. Our experience tells us that even with the very best laid plans, life is bound to get in the way. Struggle is real, attitudes happen, and homeschooling can get messy. And so, my fellow homeschooling mama, I hear you. I know your heart. I'm right there in the thick of it with you. I know the apprehension you're feeling as COVID has thrown us all for a loop. I can relate to you that are still waiting for your curriculum to show up and don't know when it will arrive because shipments have been delayed. And meanwhile, you're making things up on the fly. And to all of you that are working full-time and trying to homeschool, I feel your pain. I'm in your shoes too. So the ideals that we have in mind might not come to fruition this year as we've imagined, but I can guarantee you that the reality of what God has in store for us is going to be better than anything that we can imagine. When in doubt, pray, laugh, read, and work together. The Lord will take care of the rest. I'm Chantal Howard, author, essential oil advocate, leadership coach, rosary lover, and homeschooling mama. You can find me at chantal-howard.com, aromarosary.com, or head over to schoolofthefamily.com to download all of last season's From Ideal to Real Spotlight features and to get a copy of my book and other resources to help keep you inspired throughout your homeschooling journey. Join me next time here on From Ideal to Real. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints Podcast.